You're listening to the Top of the Mountain Podcast with Jimmy Pilato and Rev Coca, presented by the Variety Sports Network and D2Football.com, your home for RMAC football content. Now, to your hosts, Jimmy Pilato and Rev Coca. Welcome back to another episode of the Top of the Mountain Podcast, week three of the 2022 season. I am one of your hosts, Jimmy Pilato, joined as always by Rev Coca, both former Western Colorado offensive linemen. Now get to talk to you all about the entirety of RMAC football. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to mention we are presented by the Variety Sports Network. You can follow them at Variety underscore sports underscore on uh, Twitter, variety, at Variety underscore sports on Instagram. You can follow or subscribe to the YouTube channel. And as always, follow at FEOTV pod. Uh, that's where you can keep up with the updates for this show. It's where you can find uh, the links to my other podcasts that I do as well. Rev's been a guest on uh, before, but we do have some news and stories to talk about that's outside of the scope of RMAC, uh, of the RMAC universe. And uh, I guess we'll start because it was chronologically first. UFC 279, it continues to unravel and continues to get even further out of hand, but uh, Hamza misses weight. You told me right after we got off recording last week that there was a fight at the weigh-ins and they had to shut down the press conference. Then all of a sudden the matches get flipped. Tony Ferguson fights. Uh, remind me who Tony Ferguson fought, Rev. Or was it, it wasn't even Tony Ferguson. Um, oh. Nate Diaz. Oh, yeah. Who did Nate Diaz fight? Well, yeah, it was Nate Diaz versus Tony Ferguson, the final, which oh. actually turned out very better. It turned out a lot better for them just from the situation they were in, you know. Last yeah, second. Then, the... Who'd Hamzat fight then? Who was the opponent that was supposed to fight Ferguson that they just flopped? So, like, for, like, the last three fights on the card, there was a bit of a switcheroo. So, Chemayev, who initially was supposed to fight Nate Diaz, which kind of felt like a bit of an execution or a squash match. They moved Chemayev to fight Kevin Holland, who initially was fighting Daniel Rodriguez. Rodriguez fights Lee G. Leong. And then, yeah, main event was Nate Diaz, Tony Ferguson. So literally at the last moment because Chemayev missed weight after, I guess, the doctor intervened and told him he shouldn't cut weight anymore, according to his own word. So he just decided to fight at middleweight. came out at the last moment. And then... Yeah, just created this whole frenzy of a situation where he missed weight, but no one knew beforehand that the doctor told him not to cut weight in the first place. He kind of played in a very nonchalant, pro wrestling heel kind of manner. And then from from there, it it just created this whole just domino effect of events where at the last moment, everything got switched around. But thanks to the fighters being willing to take it, no, this was a boxing event at the last moment. Chances are you're not going to see something like this. The whole car would have been canceled. So to see the fighters carrying on with it, you got to give them a pat on the back. Yeah, they do deserve some credit. I would say, I mean, there's a lot of rumors swirling around. Uh, Dana White and Brendan Schaub are fighting off in the MMA media world. Uh, And there's a lot of people that are backing 
job in this situation. I don't know. Uh, I, I know that you, you're a UFC guy. I don't know how you necessarily feel about Dana White, but it does seem, it seemed a little shysty, like this was planned. Obviously, you said execution match against Hamzat for his last fight on his UFC contract when Nate Diaz has not been near the level of, of Hamzat Chimaev in quite a long time. Like He's going to be a game fighter. He's going to put up a good fight, but that was going to be brutal to watch. Then all of a sudden you're able to just flip-flop all of the matchups and everything's good to go. There's no way Dana didn't know that a doctor didn't tell Hamzat to stop cutting weight. I think Hamzat was just a fat ass that came in and decided he was going to miss weight because he thinks he's the hot shit. And uh, yeah, it, it it seemed all kind of out of whack. But now that the aftermath is is centering around whether or not this was fixed, whether or not this was planned, uh, what what does the UFC have in store to try and fix their image? Because I would say yes, you you put on a good product. I doubt the pay per view numbers were anywhere close to the projections or whatever Dana White's going to say they were. Uh, the gate probably was pretty good because people love seeing Nate Diaz fight and it's going to be his last fight in the UFC. But overall, I'd say I'd chalk this weekend up as a, a big fat loss in the UFC's column. Honestly, I wouldn't quite go as far as you. You would go just when it comes to the loss because ultimately the names are still there, are still the names. Well, Diaz and Chemayev, it's weird because like the Ch- Chemayev brings in the audience of this new up and coming fighter and how the Russian fighters love getting behind. Like, there seems to be a sense of, like, nationalism where if there's one Russian fighter that blows up, you see their Instagram, and all of a sudden you see them with hundreds and thousands of millions of followers and just something about that environment. They really back behind their fighters. But also, moving Tony Ferguson into the equation, I just think it kind of, I don't don't know if it takes a hit. I don't know necessarily how to put it, but... It's a different type of audience where, you know, the hardcore fans love him. You know, they're going to back down Tony Ferguson. He's kind of been known as kind of like the hardcore favorite, the action fighter, the guy who was always maybe uh, half a fight away from a title shot due to some bad luck and an inability to schedule a fight with Khabib for whatever reason that didn't happen. But it's weird. Like, I, I don't know if I can necessarily say the event took a hit because the matchup seemed to make a lot more sense to me. If Dana wasn't trying to be a jerk to Nate Diaz, I think that this was this was the way that the card should have looked the entire time, not Hamzat at 185 pounds, but Hamzat should be fighting a guy that's on the same trajectory. I, I get giving him some sort of a gatekeeper, except they didn't even have a gatekeeper in Nate Diaz. Uh, he's, he's like a, I would say not put out to pasture, but it's, it's definitely on the downside of his career. And you don't want to see, I think it would honestly be bad for Hamza. I think Hamza needs to have another test uh, just like he did against Gilbert Burns because he was exposed in that fight as if he doesn't fight smart and he tries to go out there and, and think that he's better than everybody. He's liable to get tagged. And when you get tagged in the UFC, those four ounce gloves, they, they pack a punch and you're going to get knocked out. So I, I really wanted to see him take a step up in competition. And I'd say that Hamzat didn't get that opportunity and didn't even get the brand recognition opportunity of doing what we all kind of expect he was going to be able to do to Nate Diaz. So that's where I come in at, come at it as a loss. Yes, good on you for being able to put on the event and not having to cancel and, and refund tickets. 
Uh, that's something that the UFC is brilliant at because they were the first organization to hold like true events during the pandemic and and not even really miss a beat coming out of all of that. Um, but it was just a, a strange situation. So that was the main MMA news. And then how God awful was that Steelers game to watch? We talked about it on last week's show before we got into everything. Your Steelers played my Bengals. Uh, the Steelers took the win, even though it took a lot longer than anybody expected to figure out, figure out who was going to win. Uh, I texted you. That was one of the worst games that I've ever had to sit through and watch. What were your thoughts sitting there? And, and obviously you came out on the good side, so you probably have a little bit different feeling than I do. Uh, were you scared by Were you nervous by anything? Scared? Encouraged? Um, How do you think Mitchell Trubisky did in his, his Steelers debut? Well, at the very least, it was good to see Mitchell Trubisky perform for enough drives to give the win because ultimately it's hard to necessarily be too optimistic about anything coming out about Pittsburgh's offense here. The thing that saved us here was the defense holding on and the multiple turnovers and harassing Joe Burrow all game. And it's kind of right now, it kind of feels like a bittersweet victory for Pittsburgh where, yeah, we came out with the win and you know, the defense looked good and they were wrecking havoc and causing turnovers. But ultimately, you know, you come out of that game with TJ Watt, the biggest piece of our defense, the most reliable pass rusher on the team, coming off a torn pack. And it's just like, well, that makes things a lot harder to dial up pressure. You know, you're just going to have to hope that Alex Highsmith keeps up the good play and that Cam Hayward perhaps ups it a notch. So it just feels very bittersweet when you come out with a win. But after week one, realizing that your most dominant player is going to be gone for basically the majority of the season. Yeah, he's going to have to, the Steelers are going to have to come back and make a postseason run for him to have uh, the desired impact. Good thing for him is that he doesn't require surgery to fix it. So it's just a waiting game to have the the muscle and the tendons repair themselves. And it's kind of funny too, because he tore his pec. He got the penalty, but he whooped Lyle Collins' ass on that play. Like, almost all game Nico texted me while he was watching he goes uh TJ Watts making Lyle Collins his bitch and I could not argue with him because that was true and yes the sacks the turnovers all of it I had to sit there in my class and my kids know that I'm a a Bengals fan and one of them walks in and goes wow five interceptions I said excuse me four interceptions and a fumble which in my head sounded better but it's it's really no better um I don't know what how you felt going towards the end of the overtime period I was almost just ready for the game to be over without a winner because it seemed like the more people played, I mean, Joe Mixon got banged up towards the end of the game. Uh, T Higgins was knocked out early with an illegal hit that should have been flagged. Uh, It seemed like the more the game went on, the more people were going to go down. TJ Watt obviously got injured. Cam Hayward was only in for a handful of snaps. It seemed like, because he's just not the, the youthful player that he used to be where you have the same mindset, like let's just get out of here and hopefully we have enough guys to field the team next week. Well, definitely like looking at the box score from Indianapolis and Houston on the other side, seeing that game end in the 2020 tie, it almost felt like there was going to be some type of deja vu going on. Like, well, is this going to be another game that ends in the 2020 tie? Like it's just going to waste our time. This game's going to drag on just for there to be no result of a win-loss. So definitely kind of felt like it was almost like it was almost like it was written in a prophecy somewhere. It's like, well, that game ended in the 2020 tie. So so is this one. But ultimately it's definitely good to see that. You no, know, we have some we have a good special teams unit, a kicker who could pull off a 
know, a clutch field goal like that. So, hey, I'll take it. However, it was a sloppy win, you know, a bit of a soap opera of a game. But however it comes, you know, even if it comes with a couple heart attacks and many scares, hey, we got the dub. And at least, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick is one of the most dominant defensive players in the NFL currently. I mean, that man was all over the field. I tweeted it out. I was like, you can stop. You can let other people make some tackles. You don't have to make all of them. You don't have to block every kick. Uh, I'm really, you should know. I mean, that hurt me. The fact that the Bengals lose because the the short snapper, I mean, the short snapper goes down. And then the backup tight end that they have going in was never snapping on the sideline before he tried to snap for the what would have been the game-winning point after a touchdown. And then also he was supposed to be at the spot where Mika Fitzpatrick rushed and came in and blocked the kick. It, it was just like as bad as it can get. Um, so your Steelers win. You're 1-0. My Bengals are 0-1. We get a bounce back against Dallas. I don't know how you feel about uh, the Steelers matchup coming up with the Patriots, but might be a little bit tougher of a game between the two of our teams. And uh, at least one person on the show got, gets to celebrate a win. I, I will tell you, looking over the scores from last week, it was a rough, rough weekend for the RMAC. Uh, only two teams come away with victories, and that was Colorado. Colorado Mesa didn't even play. Uh, they were on on their bye week, so they technically come out with a victory. And then Black Hills is the only other team that actually got a win. Everybody else took either a close loss or a big loss. Uh, I was at the Grand Valley State CSU Pueblo game. I actually got to see Grand Valley in person. What I will tell you, they are good. They are disciplined. They didn't make as many mistakes as CSU Pueblo. Obviously, that that reflects in the scoreboard, uh, Pueblo losing 35 to 10. But I will tell you just the same way that watching Mines against Angelo State, watching uh, in the playoffs last year, not this past weekend, and and watching them against Valdosta, these teams that are nationally ranked in perennial powers in the D2 level, they're not that far, much farther ahead than the best teams in the RMAC. I mean, it was the Thunderwolves had every right to be closer in that game. And if it wasn't for pretty bad weather and, and a few mental mistakes early on in the season, I could see that game being a one possession game rather than, you know, a 25 point victory in favor of the number four team in the country. Um, <clears throat> but it was, it was rough. And, and our game of the week from last week was Shadron state going to formerly known as Dixie, Dixie state. It's Utah tech. Now, um, Utah Tech got to have a nice little party out there in St. George. I watched the ending of it, but honestly, I after getting home from the Pueblo game, but at, by the time I turned it on, I'm pretty sure the third team was in. They were about to try it out the water boy just to give him a shot at quarterback to see if, if Utah Tech wasn't going to score again. Um, Chadron's in a little bit of a weird spot. I, I said it last year. They were ranked third in the preseason rankings and had a few games just get away from them. And now this is two weeks in a row where you've gotten absolutely manhandled on – on the road by good teams. So I'll give them that, but it's, you're not even putting up a fight in most of these games. So what do you think about Shadron and, and the fact that they went down to Utah tech 56 to 10? Well, it almost seems like at this point, the boys at Utah tech listened to our podcast talking about how undeserving they were to go to the FCS level, but Hey, kudos to Utah tech. This is the one division two matchup on the schedule, regardless to their history in the RMAC. And they treated Shattering State like a Division II opponent. So, hey, kudos to Utah Tech. They did what they were supposed to do. As for Shattering State and people who follow them and are fans of them, perhaps it's got to be a little bit concerning to see that in both of these games, they did at the very least show very much competitiveness in either of these games. 
They did at least put up some offensive points this time. They did score. They had a touchdown, looking at the box score, touchdown in the second half. So it was tied going into halftime. And then the third quarter is when things exploded and it just got worse uh, going into the fourth quarter. The the performances that stood out, if you can say they stood out, uh, Heath B. Miller was 12 of 27 for 121 yards. Unfortunately, four interceptions. But uh, looking around the rest of it, I mean, as a team, you only rush for 129 yards on 43 carries. Uh, not great. And then on the other side of things, Dixie State throws for almost 400 yards and four touchdowns. So <clears throat> that's just not a recipe for success. And I know that Shadron knows that. It's kind of weird to think about. I was, uh, when I was down there in Pueblo, I was talking to my brother and I was like, who is? Because obviously Western has Adams and Mines is their two big rivals. I go, who is CSU Pueblo's rival? And he goes, Shadron. And I went, why Shadron? That doesn't really make any sense. Well, think about it. It's like when, when CSU Pueblo won their national championship and was first resurrected, Shadron was the class of the Armac. And they were the team that everybody had to go through and beat. Uh, our former offensive coordinator, Joe McLean, was setting all kinds of passing records for them. And it, it just it's crazy to think how much it's changed just in that short about a, a 10 to 15 year period of time to where we're talking about Shadron being 0-2. And uh, they will possibly have a bounce back. This weekend is the opening weekend for all RMAT competitions. So we're going to have conference games to talk about. <clears throat> and they get Black Hill State. So I will say. They do have an opportunity for a bounce back because I don't think Black Hill State is very good. And Black Hill State's coming in 2-0, and thinking that they are king king of the mountain, even though they've beaten two bad NAIA schools so far on the season. So they'll have a chance, but <clears throat> so far, not great if you're a Shadron State Eagles fan. I, I agree with you there. If you're a listener of this show and you're a Shadron fan, we apologize or we feel for you. I'm not going to apologize. I'm just telling telling it like it is. And, and so far, it's it's not very pretty out there in Nebraska. Um, before we get into our game of the week coming up for week three, wanted to mention we are presented by Row One Brand. You go to rowonebrand.com, follow them at the cool stub on Twitter. Uh, rowonebrand.com, you get 15% off anything in the art gallery when you use code VSP15. That's VSP15, get 15% off anything in the art gallery. Awesome stuff over there on rowonebrand.com. Proud affiliate of the Variety Sports Network and this podcast, Top of the Mountain with Jimmy Pilato and Rev Coca. Okay. We talked about it. The game of the week for this week is going to be another team that is searching for their first win of the season. That's the Colorado School of Mines or Diggers going to Alamosa, playing the Adams State Grizzlies. Adams coming off of a 39, 34-19 loss and Mines lost 30-27 to against Angelo State in overtime. That was a nationally ranked opponent that they lost to in overtime. Um, and really, in all honesty, they probably should have won. I was watching the replay of that game before we went over to uh, the Thunder Bowl to watch CSU Pueblo and really close throughout the first first half. I would say that Mines gets themselves in trouble because they start so slow and they get down by like 15, 10 to 15 points and then they make a hellacious comeback. And then the other team just has to do one extra thing and, and it's still going to be a loss. So started off 10-10 going into halftime, uh, third quarter. Mines not able or Mines actually took a lead and then not able to close the door in the fourth quarter. Angelo State scores 10 points and then kicks the game winning field goal in overtime for that 30 to 27 victory. What do you think causes Mines to be such a slow starting team, especially in these matchups where they're playing Grand Valley State and Angelo State and teams that have some nat- national 
uh, media, national prowess behind them. It seems like they're just sleepwalking for the first half of the games most of the time. Yeah, perhaps maybe that shock factor comes in of going up against a team with, you know, a team that's a you know, very high prestige, a team that perhaps, you know, puts their high emphasis on physicality, being one of, or being two of the more talented teams, whether that's Grand Valley State or Angelo State, perhaps it takes minds a little bit of time to wake up and match the physicality of those teams. But ultimately, you have to be optimistic just simply due to the fact that they're competing with these teams. It might it might affect their postseason standings this year because, well, if you take another loss, there's almost, you know, there's no hope of you making the playoffs. But ultimately, you like to see the competitive spirit. But, yeah, it seems like it's one of those things where they need to wake up and they have to get pushed in the mouth a couple of times before they really get their game going. And it's a bummer where it comes out of those couple of plays in the first quarter where you weren't awake yet in which – ultimately determines these wins and these losses, but it's kind of where it's at. You're optimistic that you're competing with these teams, but yeah, those slow starts are a bummer. Yeah, and they're really, I mean, they run an up-tempo offense, but they would much rather play with the lead. So you'd think um, the coaching staff would recognize that so far we can't keep going down in the first quarter and then having these crazy comebacks because then I think that did affect them too going into the overtime period where you were down, you made the comeback, and then all of a sudden you're up and and trying to hold on to a lead. And the defense for both Angelo and Mines played pretty good. I mean, neither neither offense was really able to get going all that much. There was a few big plays here and there, a couple longer drives, but it was really a defensive battle for most of it. And unfortunately, you know, Mines comes up just short. So they're 0-2 on the season, starting off RMAC play, going to the Green Weenies of Al, uh, Adam State. That's my only time that I'll say that the Green Weenies. I, I know that I just made everybody upset down there in Southern Colorado. But uh, Adam's coming off of a, a little bit different path here. So they went to West Texas. Actually, they hosted West Texas in Alamosa last weekend. Uh, like I said, 34-19 loss. So they are also 0-2. Both these schools, if – if Adams thought they had any sort of aspirations to winning a conference title or making the playoffs, neither of these schools have any more room for error left to lose. But Adams State, uh, we know them pretty well. We played them, obviously, for four years, and their program is always pretty much the same. There is some talent. A couple time, a couple of years, they had some really, really stout receivers, some studs on the outside, and they're normally pretty big on defense. But you run into the issue – you turn over a lot of kids every single year. So mental mistakes, especially early on. I mean, last year, uh, I watched the Western Adams game last year. That was one of the games of the week early on in last season. And I want to say Western threw four interceptions in the third quarter alone, and they still beat Adams by at least a touchdown. So Adams just can't get out of their own way. And it seems like that's what kind of hurt them against the West Texas A&M Buffaloes. West Texas has got to love playing these RMAC schools because it's almost like a, a free victory. Um, what, what are you? What are your thoughts about Adams? And, and do you share my sentiment of it's probably pretty much on par for what they're always going to be until there's some sort of major culture shift because they just seem to turn over kids year after year. Yeah, it's kind of hard to build much consistency if you have no continuity. And ultimately, that's Adams State. They're going to go to the JUCO circuit, find the JUCO people. They're going to get there, and yeah, it's going to be a very talented team. 
We know this is going to be a team that's going to score points. We know that, but ultimately they can have a front runner mentality where if they're not ahead early, then you know they're going to get down on themselves. It's kind of hard for them to stay competitive once they've, you know, once they fall into a deficit. But you know they're going to be talented if you don't if you're not prepared early. And if if mine's as one of those games where they're sleepwalking early, then perhaps they can find themselves in a bit of a hole that they have to dig out of. But yeah. If you don't take them seriously, they could drop some points. Uh, is Rev Coca predicting a, a, a upset victory? <laughs> Adams beats Colorado Mines on their home turf in Alamosa. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not necessarily predicting that right off the bat. I'm just saying the circumstances where lately they've been starting slow, and you got a team like Adams who they have no problems. They've kind of always emphasized that quick passing game. They had Hov, they had Chad Hovas, you know, dominating mm-hmm. teams with a cast on his head a few years ago. They had another receiver in 2019, forgot his name, but absolutely terrorized us in that game. So we've always had like those offensive weapons and a receiver who could really do some damage, but ultimately they're not disciplined. They're always going to be near the top of the RMAC when it comes to penalties, and that discipline is going to make a difference. My big thing so far, we talked about. The, the fact that it's so crazy, Michael Zeman is is once again playing in the Division Two level at the NG, at, in the RMAC. Um, so far through two games, only 39 carries, 119 yards, uh, and two touchdowns. So not necessarily the production you're expecting out of the leading rusher in your school's history. Uh, and then the other part of the backfield there with John Matoka, so far on the season, 39 of 62, uh, no interceptions, which is is good. Three touchdowns only, though and a 62% completion percentage. Uh, for the for the purposes of the RMAC play, yes, you will be able to win games with the two, with John Matoka and Michael Zeman playing like that. You will be able to beat some of these, especially the lower teams in the RMAC. I think Pueblo might give you a little bit of issue if those, that, those guys don't step up. But the fact that you're not getting any kind of production out of the offense that we said, you're probably going to have to take the, take the lead, take the reins because you graduated so much leadership from your defensive side of the ball last year and they haven't stepped up, but their defense has. So it's a double-edged sword. You'd like to see the offense get going. You'd like to see the offense and defense be going at the same time. Are you surprised at all that the, the double whammy of Zeman and Matoka hasn't really got off, gotten off to that strong of a start yet so far this season? Well, I think it would be safe to say that their team might be a little bit more neutralized, you know, on national level. You would like to think that they can rely on them, but ultimately too slow, too slow starts. And while they haven't necessarily been horrible, but it's just been a little too flashy against these national teams. But ultimately, I think they're comfortable going up against teams in the RMAC, and this is their ch- this is going to be their chance to find their footing again. So. This is going to be familiar competition and familiar foes. I think they're going to get their momentum going. I think so as well. This is a, a good bounce back after two very tough nationally ranked opponents. You get to go to a team that I can't remember the last time I heard of Adams beating Colorado Mines. It should be a, a good way to get your first notch in the win column on the season. Uh, before we get into the standings, look at the rest of the slate for Saturday, Fort Lewis after getting crounced 52-12 to last weekend in their home opener and their season opener against Arizona Christian University, which, like I said, I don't even know if they're Division II. They might be NAIA. Uh, Adams, or excuse me, Fort Lewis is going to New Mexico Highlands. Uh, that'll be taking place 
in Las Vegas, New Mexico at one o'clock on Saturday. South Dakota Mines is going to be playing Colorado Mesa at one o'clock. Western Colorado will be taking on the CSU Pueblo Thunderwolves, looking for a bounce back. Uh, Western looking for their first win. This actually might be the first time that Josh Cummings is going to be in the lineup, even though Connor Desch last weekend broke his thumb and he'll be out. Uh, Luke Nethercott winning uh, RMAC Offensive Player of the Week honors in, in his relief effort. So Western Colorado will be taking on the, the Thunderwolves in the Thunder Bowl at 2 p.m. on Saturday afternoon. And then our uh, last game of the day, Black Hills State 2-0 going to Shadron State, playing at Don BB Stadium in Shadron, Nebraska at 6 p.m. That'll be the nightcap for this weekend, first weekend of RMAC action. Um, it should be a fun Saturday, and, and there should be plenty of games to watch. So if you have a fire stick, if you have the ability to watch on the RMAC network, I'd highly recommend doing so. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to have Zach Chavez, assistant RMAC commissioner, on a little bit later for a short interview, and he talks about it, the RMAC sports in general, because he works at not just football, but with all of them. Everyone is starting to get themselves into that national conversation, especially you know, our distance running teams in the RMAC, it makes sense when you're training at that high of an elevation, you should be pretty dominant, but football hopefully is going to get themselves back on track. Like I said, tough weekend last weekend with only two teams, uh, one team coming out with a true victory. And now we get to look forward to a uh, new weekend and some new opportunities. So before we get into the standings, wanted to mention our last sponsor for the episode in the clutch sports in the clutch sports.com. When you use uh, code variety sports, all one word, all caps, you will get 10% off your whole order. So whatever you might need, if your son, daughter, brother, if you are playing football this year and you need some uh, sports gear in the clutch sports.com, 10% off your whole order. When you use code variety sports, all one word uh, <clears throat> looking over, we're finally going to have some conference records into in the standing. So if you're, Going to rmaxsports.org right now, it looks a little bit strange. Holding down the number one spot, the Black Hills State Yellow Jackets. If you're a Yellow Jackets fan, take a victory lap because this might be the last week. It might be the first and only week that you are considered the number one team in the RMAC outright. 2-0 and record on the season. Of that right now, just take a screenshot of the RMAC standings. That's about as good as it gets. It's, I mean, from a team that went 0-11 and 0-11, and the two years that they were trying to, well, they were never trying to recruit me, but the two years that they could have recruited me, they went 0-11 both seasons. This is as good as it can get for them. And that zero in the in the loss column, I have a strange feeling is probably going to disappear after this weekend. So Black Hills coming in at number one, Colorado Mesa, number two, only 1-0, had a bye week last week, didn't take advantage of the extra uh, non-conference opportunity outside of that. Then three and four, you have CSU Pueblo at three and South Dakota Mines at four. Both of those schools, one and one. So the rest of the RMAC institutions have no wins on the season. So that top four, South Dakota Mines, CSU Pueblo, Colorado Mesa, and Black Hill State. Two of those things do not belong here. And I think if you followed this conference for more than just the last two weeks, you know who those teams are. South Dakota Mines and Black Hills are, funny enough, they're both the South Dakota schools, but that, that ain't true. That ain't real. I mean, it's going to be burst here in, in the next couple next couple of days. But any, any who's or what's it's, it is what it is. You had to play the teams that are in front of you. Then you got Adam Shadron, Colorado Mines, Fort Lewis, Highlands, and Western all currently sitting at either 0-1 or 0-2 respectively. So that's kind of the round out. Not a whole lot of movement here. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if we did uh, RMEC championship predictions, but just 
who are who are some of the teams that you're expecting to be vying for a conference title? Let's not even say playoffs at this point because you got to win the conference before you can go to playoffs. Outside of Colorado Mines, who's that other team that you think is going to be able to push the ore diggers and possibly have a chance to to steal an RMAC title away from them? Well, at this point, um, outside of Pueblo kind of being that close team, you know, being able to maybe give Mines a push, um, I would love to say Western and Mesa, but right now Western's kind of like being that rebuilding period to kind of build some momentum back as with Mesa. They've they've had some they've had some relatively soft competition. I believe you know, yeah, they're one and no their only game being an NAIA school, so it's still kind of a mystery just how great they are. So right now I think the teams with the most realistic shots are mines, even though they're 0-2. People are gonna look at the competition, who who they played, and they're kind of gonna they're gonna give them a little bit of slack there. Pueblo just being you know, the impressive showcase they had in week one. Yeah, week two didn't go as planned, and you got to see from firsthand how much they struggled. But I feel like the only really wild card at this point is Mesa because ultimately if you look at everything down the line, well, we played the Lone Star teams very competitively, but we didn't get a lot of wins out of it. And then the team that used to be in the RMAC in Utah Tech put a molly whopping on Shattering State. So it's one of those things where any of those other teams, even if they were good, they may not necessarily get as much love from the rankings because they lost against teams. And right now I think it's really only realistic between Mines, Pueblo, and Mesa to be competitive in the, or to have a chance to win. And if they do well, maybe they could get some postseason ex- or maybe they could get some exposure and some love from the people in the rankings, but yeah, definitely not a good stretch in the RMAC, just not being able to pull off the wins. Yeah, it's good to be close, but not being able to pull off the wins is going to affect just the outlook. Yeah, and we're we're about to throw it over to our interview with Zach Chavez, assistant RMAC commissioner, and he talks about how the Lone Star and the RMAC, just based on the NCAA boundaries that they drew for D2, it's kind of sister conferences. That's the Southwest region that we're both in. I would agree with you at this point. Uh, I think uh, the RMAC last year got a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. I, I think Western probably deserved to be there, but I didn't think that they'd be able to host a playoff game. And now with all these Lone Star teams picking up big out-of-conference wins against teams that they normally don't see, this is the first matchup between Western Colorado and West Texas A&M for however long, and I don't even know if they've ever played Texas Permian Basin before. Um I will say we we I, we should shout out Western Colorado because we said after that week one embarrassment that they had to at least be competitive against Texas Permian Basin. I I don't know. I didn't get a chance to watch that game. It was behind the Lone Star stupid ass paywall. Um, but it does seem like at least they were they did have the fight that we were expecting them to have. This is a team that went to the playoffs, had a share of a conference title for the first time since the new millennium. Uh, let's put that into perspective. It was 22 years of absolute dreck. And then last year was the first time that it was even somewhat remotely feasible. So they did have that, that you know, a little bit of grit, a little bit of spit, and they were able to to put themselves in there against a very good uh, nationally outside of your own conference opponent. So did want to make sure that we shouted them out and good luck to uh, Nethercott and the other boys that we have down at Western Colorado. Good luck to everybody. Hopefully everybody stays uh, healthy throughout this weekend. 
and we get some more great RMAC competition coming up. Uh, before we send it over to Zach, wanted to mention, if you follow at FEOTV pod, you can keep up with all the updates regarding this show. Excuse me. And if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, you'll be able to watch uh, both this portion of the podcast and the interview with Zach Chavez coming up here on the top of the mountain podcast. New episodes come out every Friday uh, with myself and Rev. And uh, we are presented by the Variety Sports Network. Follow them at Variety underscore sports underscore. And if you want to get some new merch, uh, Far End of the Bench merch shirts are in there. Uh, The Broncos and Bengals shirts that we put in there because they had so much promise and so much hype might not be. uh, You're probably going to still be able to find one. So go to bonfire.com slash store slash variety dash sports slash network and check out all of the great merchandise from Variety Sports Network. Uh, Rev, remind everybody where they can find you real quick and uh, what, if any, projects that you have coming up for Belly Up Sports with your writing stuff. Well, you can find me, whether that's Twitter or on the Belly Up website or Instagram, wherever that may be. It's Rev Coca, R-E-V-K-O-K-A. You can find my work there. I'm just, at this point, going to regroup, think about something to write. I haven't fully gotten into drafting anything, but Ultimately, with what's going on with Pittsburgh and the loss of TJ Watt, it's definitely something that I, I get covered there just when it comes to Cam Hayward and other players on the defense having to pick up the slack and how the TJ Watt loss, <clears throat> one second, just kind of how the TJ Watt loss could potentially impact his Steelers defense and how it's really at this time they're going to have to quickly regroup, find something, you know, find some way to match of productivity that they're going to lose from TJ with guys like Highsmith and Hayward and the depth guys. So yeah, interesting time. We got the New England Patriots next. Mac Jones is dealing with back spasms. How is that going to affect that, their performance after looking flat against Miami? So yeah, going to focus more on somewhere around that field. There you go. Be sure to check out bellyupsports.com and search Rev Coco for all of his content that he's put out for them. If you want uh, my outside of Division II football opinions, you can listen to the far end of the bench. Rev's a frequent guest on uh, that show every Wednesday, both uh, on our own feed on any podcasting app, as well as on the Variety Sports Network, just like this show. Um, Actually, you'll be able to hear this show on the far end of the bench podcast feed because Anchor was being stupid, and I just decided I, I run both shows, I edit both shows, so why not have them on the same feed? So Fridays, you'll have Top of the Mountain downloaded if you follow the Far End of the Bench, and then new episodes of the Far End of the Bench podcast come out Wednesdays. So be sure to follow, subscribe, like, rate, review, all that stuff. Enjoy the weekend of RMAC football. Enjoy the interview with Zach Chavez coming up. And uh, after that, you all will um, be off on your own to enjoy your weekend but thank you very much for listening to week three of the top of the mountain podcast for myself jimmy Pilato, my co-host red coca we appreciate all of you listening and we will see you all next time and now a very special segment here on the top of the mountain podcast i unfortunately i can't say biggest guest that we've had because we did have will lytle on and he's both physically and uh he he had a, a heck of a season last year but we are very excited bringing on assistant RMAC uh, commissioner kind of in, in charge of the social media and, and getting all the media relations out for the RMAC. Zach Chavez is joining the show. Thank you, Zach, for coming on and talking a little bit more about the Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference. I know the listeners of this show know a lot about it, but for those those people that are just checking us out on the Variety Sports Network, this will be a good chance to kind of tell everyone how great this conference is, not just in football, but all over. So thank you for coming on, and, and we're glad to have you. 
Yeah, Jimmy. Thanks, man. I really appreciate your time and uh, invite me on here. This is a really big opportunity. So um, yeah, just kind of going off what you said uh, up at the RMAC, we've, you know, we're trying to elevate our standard of play uh, each week. And, and I feel like we've definitely done that. I actually joined the conference last year in the summer. So um, just headed into my second year now, had a lot of great stuff going on last year. We had, you know, three wrestling national champions. We had cross country national champions, track and field, um, pretty dang good in volleyball. Uh, and then football, as you all saw with uh, Western and then mine's progressing on. So, um, yeah, we're just I, I feel like we're doing a lot of great things. We we recently just uh, revamped our website. And then prior to that, we uh, redid the logo entirely mm -hmm. for the for the conference. So I think that was a project that um, that was probably my my week one was like, hey, get to work on this because we want this out by March of. 2021 so yeah yeah no better way to learn than than with your feet in the fire I would I'm glad that you said that because when I was initially making the logo for this season I was like that seems different but I can't really tell and then yes it is the logo looks great um so you like I said you were telling me a little bit before we started recording you're kind of the media go between the scores come to you you make sure that they get spread out everywhere so tell, explain a little bit more about what your role is and how that works because uh, it's not just football, it's all the sports all of the time. So you're, I, I'm assuming, a very busy person. And uh, how does how is that job going? And, and how does that all work for your role here at the RMAC? Yeah, that's, it's a, sometimes I feel like I'm spending 35 plates um, and, and trying to just make sure one doesn't break or maybe two doesn't break. But uh, yeah, so, so for my position up at the conference office, um, I oversee all media and communications, marketing, branding um we're we're an office of four so uh we i feel like we're all each great at our jobs but um it's just a lot to take on so uh so yeah i kind of oversee uh social media communications press releases that go out from the conference um that's that's me so uh it's it's been a great great opportunity i i'd never lived in colorado before before i got out here but uh, when this position opened, I was like, oh, my gosh, I definitely want to get out there. Um, so, yeah, they've they've kind of blessed me by letting me kind of take on a bunch of different um, jobs, duties. And then uh, kind of like you said earlier, just kind of throw your feet to the fire and and learn what's like what you need to know. Yeah. So this is your first year or going to be your second year of the RMAC. Where were you before uh, working for the Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference? So prior to this, I was at the Division One level uh, with the Southland Conference over in Frisco, Texas. So it's just about, I mean, that's where the Cowboys yeah. facility is and all that. So it's about 40, 45 minutes north of Dallas, just kind of in the suburbs out there. But yeah, I, sp I spent three years there. Um, and then prior to that, my, my first job in this whole business was uh, Lubbock Christian University. So I started at the D2 level. I loved D2. And then when I went on to division one, I, I learned a lot of great stuff there. I love my time there, but I was like, you know, I, I definitely want to get back to division two. It's kind of my stomping grounds. The D2 level is, is one of those uh, it's a special place. And we are joined by my co-host Rev Cook. I know uh, he, he was jumping on. He's excited for this opportunity as well. We're both former Western Colorado offensive linemen. So we do have um, that little bit of a bias, but, just in that 
last season, we talked about Colorado Mines, Western Colorado making the playoffs, and then Mines obviously going into the semis. Uh, how how would that have changed your uh, – did that change your your job at all, or, or what was that feeling like at the Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference, seeing Mines just continue to progress and being one of the better teams, obviously a top-four team in the country at the Division II level last year? Yeah, it was it was a really great opportunity. Um, I, I'd never – uh, when I started at Lubbock Christian, there's no football there. So it's not like a world that I was kind of, I was involved with it, but adjacently. Um, so I didn't really understand like the world and kind of the weight of football, especially in our region um, with the RMAC and with the Lone Star. Um, I, I like was kind of excited to to see what we could do. And, and obviously mine's went on a, a tear um, and was, you know, just a couple plays away from a national championship appearance. So, that was really cool. Fortunately, I've uh, during that time, I was trying to provide as much coverage as possible from our end. Um, but I also had great, great uh, sports information staffs at Western Colorado and at Mines. Um, so they were de- we were definitely able to kind of feed off each other. If there was some information that I maybe missed in, in a preview or whatever, you know, I, I was able to lean on those SIDs there uh, to say like, hey, you know, I, I want to make sure I understand this right. So, yeah. Yeah, that's got to be a, a little bit of interesting job with not having a, a person like a, a liaison for each school. You got to rely on the staffs and hopefully that each school has has the right people in those positions. Uh, Rev, you have you want to jump in with a, a question here for Zach uh, talking about talking about the his role in the RMAC or anything like that? Yeah, I would definitely like to jump in when it comes to just your overall background, just covering the RMAC football as a whole. I just like to you know, ask about like what got you in just when you think about the whole RMAC and Division Two kind of being like a very small little niche environment, not necessarily on the national scene. So I just would like to know what necessarily got you pulled into covering this conference at the beginning when you first got started. How'd they trick you to move into the mountains? I was going to say, yeah, I think they uh, they just said, uh, yeah, you're going to cover the RMAC now, um, every sport. But uh how, how did I get pulled in? I, I think it's just these stories write themselves, like with, you know, some of the, the playoff runs and postseason runs in football and then every other sport. Um, those those kind of things, I was coming into this job thinking, like, that's going to be the hard stuff to find. But this conference is is a national contender in a lot of sports, and um, that's really cool to see. So when those stories come up, that's just – that's the easiest part. They're all kind of being fed to me with, with the success of all these student athletes that we have here. Do you have an athletic career in your background? What did you have a sport that you played growing up that you kind of lean a little bit more towards? Well, I tried to play football and then I quickly realized I was not going to be the size <laughs> that I needed to, to be good at football. So, you know, you're talking to basketball. two of the shortest offensive linemen in our Mac history. So. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even trying to do that. I, I really think I got hit. I got tagged one time really hard in a junior high or high school football. And I'm like, I, I don't think I like doing that that much. It doesn't feel great. But yeah, um, I kind of played a little bit of everything is what I'm trying to say. But football, basketball, baseball growing up. Uh, but my main sport was soccer. So that was something that I've um, that I find a lot of my like just basic fundamentals have been pulled from that. Uh, yeah. And 
obviously there's a, a lot of movement going on just around the RMAC in general. And, and you mentioned three national wrestling champions, uh, the new field for Western Colorado soccer team, which is now also the Western Colorado football field for the, the time being. So it, you couldn't have come in at, to the conference at a better time. And it seems a lot more like the RMAC, the success and the lineage. It was always there because there are schools that have over 15 conference championships, but for whatever reason, I, I'm sure it's the the accessibility of finding all of this information about small schools, because not many people know where Gunnison, Colorado is, Grand Junction, uh, especially like Shadron. That, those are all uh, mm-hmm. schools that are, are a little bit off the beaten path. Um, are there any, un- uh, what would some of the challenges for people that aren't in your role, what are some of the challenges that you seem to ha- face quite often just trying to figure out how to, to cover the RMAC? Yeah, I mean, um, just like with your platform here and kind of all over the place, you just kind of feel like you're drinking from a fire hose sometimes. So that's probably the biggest holdup is, you know, trying to hone in on what you're trying, the story you're trying to tell, the coverage you're trying to provide and and seeking that out. But if you just kind of let yourself get overwhelmed by every kind of platform, um, it can be a lot and it's pretty daunting. And um, so yeah, that, that's something that I definitely struggle with is a lot of information and a lot of success. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Rev, he does know that, that the wrestling is kind of, you know, it's, it's definitely a step up in the RMAC. Um, so now that we're starting to see some of the football teams take over in the national spotlight, I mean, two weeks go by and there wasn't a single conference RMAC football game, which is a little bit strange most times. So now that there are other conferences trying to reach out, do you have, it seems like the Lone Star is almost like a sister conference, uh, especially for the football season this year. Are there specific conferences that that you see, you know, maybe a little bit more of a intertwining, a little bit more of a relationship that can maybe be cultivated to grow both the RMAC schools and the schools in that conference? Yeah, that's that's something that the NCAA does um, on their own. So they create these regions, um, and and the South Central region is which is the com- is the region that the RMAC is in um, with the Lone Star. Those two conferences alone are so huge that like there's not enough room. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of that's how we determine these relationships, and we're always trying to cultivate those. Definitely with the Lone Star because um, we have to kind of bring our level or our standard of play up in, in every sport because there are so many uh, competitive schools in both uh, conferences. So, yeah, those relationships are there. They're constantly being, you know, worked on and and kind of intertwined and encouraged to kind of grow because you know when when we grow, the Lone Star benefits, and when when they grow and go on and do great things in their conference, we benefit because the exposure is so high in our region. Yeah, to kind of hop into the equation and build off of that question, how much do you think the effect in the RMAC is when it comes to playing these Lone Star teams in the in a big Texas, you know, collegiate football market? How much does that help when it comes to perhaps some of these teams in the mountainous region that doesn't quite have all the exposure yet and how much of a an effect does that play when it comes to bringing more exposure on the division two level being able to play uh being able to play teams from a conference with a little bit more of a reputation 
Yeah, it's it's huge. And, and that's something that our commissioners of both the RMEC and, and the Lone Star are trying to, to figure out, like, how can we grow this even more than it is? But um, those those opportunities are great. Truth be told, I don't have the numbers on, you know, the kind of attention that it actually brings in. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm a I'm a Texas boy. I, you know, I didn't necessarily play football um, as far as you two did, but um it's king there. So yeah, it's if if the Colorado kind of this region's uh, football prowess grew to the the Texas prowess that you all know and love. I mean that we all know and love. It's it's tough, but it doesn't just happen overnight. So the opportunity to get to play these schools, these Texas schools, um, in regional matchups is is huge uh, for our conference and for theirs. Uh, we'll we'll kind of send our last couple of questions here. We don't want to take up too much of your evening. Uh, just looking at the scope of uh, we're in the fall seasons now. Is there anything coming up that people should be aware of that that you'd like to get the word out about the RMAC? Is there any special projects or or maybe a team that we should be on the lookout that you've been noticing might be taking that next step forward? Yeah, well, I think we're always going to have that. You know, with our cross country uh, programs that alone could could be a national standard but yeah women's soccer um i believe we have two teams ranked uh within the top 25 or at least one um ranked and one receiving votes and the same on the men's side as well so um i could list off all the schools in the rmac but i think you need to pay attention to all of them uh because they're they're just doing great things there um i i think right now our uh, biggest things coming up are going to be our postseason championships, which begin with cross country uh, that first weekend of November. Uh, Saturday is when we will hold, we'll hold both our men's and women's races. But um, every everything is is looking great right now, and I can only hope that we're uh, going to see some postseason wins and uh, maybe some hardware later on down the line. But yeah, volleyball, football. Um, Cross country soccer's men's and women's soccer's uh, pay attention. Rev, you got anything else before we let Zach get out of here and enjoy uh, maybe the Thursday night football game or maybe get some rest after after some work? Well, I don't quite have anything else at the moment. I'll let you enjoy that football game, but yeah, thanks for joining us, giving us our or giving us your time, man. Absolutely. Well, thank you and continue to cover the RMAC, man. I mean, I don't want to beg you to do so, but I, I love it. Uh, with yeah. That was one of my biggest things with this, uh, with stepping into this position as I had the opportunity to kind of grow it into what I wanted and I want to be more digital and kind of um, interact on that front as well. Social media, our uh, social media pages is RMAC underscore sports um, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, this podcasting world is is something that really fascinates me and it's fascinated me for a long time. So I'm glad to be able to have these um, older media uh, outlets cover us, but also, yeah, anytime I can, I can help you all out. Definitely. Just let me know. Uh, we, yeah. And we, you'd never have to beg us to talk about our, the RMAC. We're probably the, some of the only two people outside of this people, the kids at the schools talking about RMAC sports as religiously as we are. We both wrestled in high school too. So 
and we both covered the wrestling team at Western Colorado during our time there. So we appreciate your time. Uh, once again, Zach Chavez, Assistant RMAC Commissioner, uh, Head of the, the Media Availability for the Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference. Thanks again for joining us, and uh, good luck finishing out the fall season and, and going right into the winter sports season. You get never a break in, in your schedule, I, I can imagine. So thank you again for coming on. Yeah, never a break, but I love it. So, yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Yeah. Have a good one, man. Keep up the good work.